If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. We are coming to uh, the end of this first chapter of Mark. And it is, again, Mark is spinning this tale for us in a way that, that grabs our attention. Right off the bat here, he is affirming that statement that he started off this gospel, that this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're going to start reading at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next place that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately, straight away, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. But Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. For the Gentile audience, for those that didn't have a connection with with, uh, some of the Jewish heritage and tradition, this would have been a powerful story. In first century Roman Empire, leprosy was a terrible disease. We know a little bit about the fear that comes from a disease that, that is so contagious and that nobody seems to be able to protect themselves from. But that fear that was there within all communities throughout uh, uh, the Roman Empire was very real because leprosy was such a devastating disease. It was, it was having such a tragic effect because the only way to respond to that was to remove those that had leprosy from the rest of the community in order to protect the rest of the community. And so it was breaking up families. Uh, it was destroying people's bodies, and, and, and it was this terrible thing, and, and nobody had any way to deal with it. There was no treatment 
that seemed to be helping. There was no uh, cure in any way to stop this disease from spreading. And for those Gentile readers, those Greeks and Romans who, who heard Mark's story, this was an amazing claim that this man, Jesus, was able to cure leprosy. What an amazing, an amazing claim and, a, and an amazing power. Uh, they, they've already heard that this Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. He's able to cast out demons, uh, to be able to direct them, to bind them so they don't have any power. And now they hear that he also has authority over diseases. And you can hear in their minds, they're starting to think, maybe it's true. Maybe this is the Son of God. He has such power and authority. Now for the Jewish audience, there was a total other level of this particular account that a Gentile wouldn't understand because, because of the, the traditions that had developed within the Jewish community around leprosy. For those of you that have read through Leviticus and, and uh, struggled through all of the, the laws and stuff, if you got as far as chapter 13 and 14, you know that there are extensive instructions on how the, the Jewish community was to respond to those with leprosy. That it all centered around the role of the priests in the temple. That when anybody had the, uh, was suspected of having leprosy, they were required by law to go to the priest, to show themselves to the priest. And there in chapter 13, uh, there's a whole list of, of explanations of, of how the priests were to determine whether this was a contagious leprosy or not. And then instructions of, of how to respond if it is leprosy. What is the next steps? How you isolate that individual? How you keep them away from everybody else to keep that contagion from spreading? But not only that, once you get into chapter 14 of Leviticus, it starts talking about what, how a priest is to respond. If anybody is ever cured of leprosy, if there was somebody from the Jewish community that, that, that had leprosy and and because of the rules and regulations, they would know everyone that had leprosy because they had to go and respond. They had to go and show themselves to the priest. So the priest knew who all had leprosy. And they, were, they had gone through a process of, of determining whether that was an accurate diagnosis or not. So then if somebody was cured of leprosy, somebody from the Jewish community was cured of leprosy, they too would then have to go to the priest to show themselves, and, and there's instructions there in chapter 14 of how the priest was to be able to determine whether the cure had actually happened, if this was real. Uh, there was a, a whole uh, eight-day process of purification that once somebody had been determined that they had been clean, they go through that purification process, and it was, uh, it was established that this person was then free to again participate in the whole community. Over time, uh, this, this became more and more 
a, a, a key part of the conversation that was going within the Jewish community. By the time we get to the second temple, after they had returned from their exile to Babylon, the writings of the rabbis um, that, that today are, are collected in what we call the Talmud, there was this whole section, a whole tractate of the 63 tractates that make up the, the Talmud. The one full tractate is dedicated to this whole question of leprosy, of identifying somebody that was a leper, how to deal with that, and then what happens when they are cured of leprosy. And, and it became a, a, a big deal, one of the things that the, the rabbis talked a significant amount about to try and understand what all is going on here and why God gave all of these rules. In fact, in the Second Temple, it is reported that there was a room specifically designated as the leper's room. This was the place where the lepers, any leper that had been cured of leprosy that's where they would spend their eight days of purification so that the, the, the priest would be able to keep track of them. They, they had this whole room that was designated. By the time we come to, the, to Jesus, guess how many Jewish people had been cured of leprosy? Zero. Not one. And, and, and this troubled the Jewish people so much that, that a big part of what they were discussing, the rabbis were talking about in their writings that were, make their part of the Talmud, is, is this tradition developed that, that God had given all of these rules and regulations, these guidelines for how to be able to determine if somebody was cured, a Jewish person was cured of leprosy, because... Only the Messiah would be able to cure leprosy. And that would be one of the signs that they would know that He was the Messiah. If He could heal a Jewish person of leprosy. Now some of you will say, well, hold it. How about Moses? He had leprosy when it was one of the tests that God gave him. Both he and Miriam had leprosy prior to all of these laws given. Those are the only examples of Jewish people who were actually healed of leprosy, but it was before all of those regulations were put into place. And, and some of you will also remember the story of Naaman, uh, the Syrian captain who also had leprosy, who was healed by the prophet. Uh, but again, that is somebody who was not part of the Jewish community. He didn't go through all of the regulations and, and rituals because he wasn't part of the Jewish community. But, but never in all of the history since Moses gave these laws, there had never been a Jewish person who had been cured of leprosy. And the tradition was that when Messiah came, that would be one of the ways that they would know that he was who he claimed to be because only God could heal leprosy. There's actually four of those messianic signs. Leprosy was one of them, curing a Jewish person with leprosy. Uh, another one is uh, casting out a deaf, dumb demon. Another one is healing a person who was born blind. We're going to hit some of those. The last one is being able to raise somebody from the dead 
on the fourth day or after the fourth day of being in the tomb, after being dead. Those of you that are familiar with the story of Mark know that we are going to hit all of those different signs. And, and there's different reasons why those, those particular miracles were only going to be able to be performed by the Messiah. But that's why Jesus then said to this leper, go and show yourself to the priest. First of all, it was to be able to follow through with the laws and regulations that God had given. But also, Jesus was sending His messianic calling card to the very heart of the religious elite. The, the, the center of the Jewish community was to go to the temple to show Himself to the priest, to let them know the Messiah has come. And it worked. Look at chapter 2. Verse 2, it says, And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And He was preaching the Word to them. If you look over at Luke, at his um, account of this particular uh, um, miracle, over in Luke chapter... Five. So Luke chapter 5, verse 12, we see a very similar story of Jesus healing a leper. And then verse 17, so Jesus has sent his calling card, the messianic calling card to Jerusalem. And verse 17, it says, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem. Every village in Galilee. They had received the message and they came to see for themselves if this truly was the Messiah that God had promised. So why did Jesus tell this leper, not to tell anybody, just to go to the priest and, and not to let anybody know. The text doesn't really go into detail about that. I think we can speculate a little bit. Maybe, maybe it was so that, that he wouldn't get distracted, that as he started telling other people on his way to the priest, they would be getting all excited and, and distract him from being able to actually get to the temple and follow through with the, the laws and the rituals that, that God had instructed through Moses. Uh, so I, it could be part of the reason. It could also be that, that maybe Jesus was concerned that, that, that this man wasn't prepared for the questions that were going to be thrown at him from people. And rather than, than uh, put him in a place where he would have to guess at answers or, or try and come up with things or give the wrong answers, he was trying to guard him and, and just go see the priest, get that dealt with first. We've seen Jesus instruct others not to speak. And, and uh, perhaps it's along those same lines when Jesus uh, cast out demons. And they started 
giving testimony about who Jesus was. Why have you come to torment us, Son of the Most High God? And he said, be quiet. Jesus guarded his reputation, testimony about him from being, uh, for being sent out through corrupted messengers. Um, and so he told the demons. He didn't want the demons to be the one that was testifying about him, and so he told them to be quiet. And perhaps the same is true about this man, that Jesus didn't want him to give false testimony and so told him to be quiet. I think probably one of the, the main reasons why Jesus told him to be quiet was because he knew exactly what would happen if this guy started spouting off what had occurred in his life. That there would be crowds from everywhere that would come. And he wouldn't be able to accomplish the things. Jesus' ministry was an intimate, personal ministry. He spoke to big crowds for sure, but, but his desire was to be able to connect one-on-one. And, and we're going to see that time and time again uh, throughout his ministry. He will be surrounded by crowds, but he will pick out individuals and make a personal, intimate connection with them. Jesus wants to do that in our lives as well. Our connection and our relationship with Him is not part of a community, although the community plays a big part in our relationship with Christ, but it is primarily and first and foremost an intimate, personal connection that He has with each one of us. I think Jesus knew that, uh, that soon if this man started telling the story that the crowds would be coming and that's exactly what we see happening. He went out and began to talk freely and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in the desolate places and still people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus was very clear on what his purpose was and what the mission that he had been called out to do. And he stuck to that. We see that in his interaction with the disciples. They thought, things are going so great. Everybody wants to hear you. They're looking for you, Jesus. And where was Jesus? Out in solitude. On his own. In prayer. And what was his response to them? Let's go someplace else. My, my ministry is, at this point, is not big crowds. There's lots of other people that are out there that need to hear this message, that need a touch from their almighty God. And I need to go there and be with them. And so he left that success, all that, that was going well in Capernaum, and went out to the other villages and cities around Galilee to be able to make those kinds of personal connections with others. Jesus was very clear about his purpose. How did that happen? Well, I think a big part of it was because 
he rose very early while it was still dark. (laughs) And he went and spent some intimate moments with his father. Oh, there are so many voices and pressures and forces that pull at us. So, so many things that distract us, that grab for our attention. You can't drive down the road without signs and marketing jumping out at you. If it was important for Jesus to take that time to to get out and, and be alone with God, with His Father, how much more for you and I be able to put aside all of the, the electronics that beep and wheel and whir and everything else for our attention. To get away from, uh, from, from the other people who are wonderful and we need to, we can't isolate ourselves forever, but, but there are so many people that have so many demands on us, right? Everybody needs a piece of us to do something, to, to help them out, to, uh, to, to have an investment someplace in their lives. But to be able to carve out that important time and say, my father is too important for me not to spend my time in here in prayer, speaking to him, pouring out our hearts talking to Him about the things that we are going through, the experiences, the struggles, the joys that that we're going through. Being honest with Him. And then listening. Being quiet. Hearing His voice. He talks to all of us. David's testimony, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, night after night, they pour forth speech. It is God's nature to reveal himself to his children, to his people. The problem is is that so often we get distracted by everything else that's going on. We miss that still, small voice that's speaking truth that's guiding our steps, that's communicating, I love you. And I want so much more for you. We need to take the time to be quiet. To hear His voice. To allow Him to refocus us on what our mission is, what He is calling us to do and how he is shaping and refining us. When we are there, when we have engaged in that discipline of hearing from God, then he becomes that mighty fortress for us. <laughs> It's not that he wasn't before. But we've actually placed ourselves within that mighty fortress. 
so that all of those voices, all of those distractions can't get us sidetracked off the things that He calls us to do. Do you feel scattered? Do you feel like, like your life is just kind of spinning your wheels? Take the time to have that solitude, that, that quiet have that conversation with your almighty God, with your Father who loves you and wants the best for you. We're going to sing another song. Let it just be the cry of your heart. Would you stand as we sing this together? Nearer my God to thee
pray that prayer with confidence, knowing that you will answer, because that is your will for us, that we would walk in step with you, that our eyes and our focus, our hearts would always be directed towards you. What an amazing privilege to be invited into that relationship. Thank you for creating us to have that kind of intimate relationship with you. that We can know you as you truly are. We look forward to that day when we will see you face to face, when there won't be anything that will get in the way between you and I. And with all of your people, we will lift our voices and proclaim your glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Draw us nearer to you, Lord. In the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.